Hi, friends. This is Pastor Dan Jackson. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Jacobswell Church. My hope and prayer is that this message will be a blessing to you and lead you into worshiping and enjoying our great and gracious God. With that said, let me encourage you to use this message as a supplement to and not a replacement of a local church. Christ did not establish his church simply for us to consume messages, but so that we could be intimately invested in each other's lives as an authentic covenant community. Again, thank you for listening. And if you want more information about Jacobswell Church, please visit our website at www.jacobswellgb.org. Come on back, take a seat. As you're being seated, I just wanted to mention that we do have a small gift for all the women in the church uh, who help out mothering all of our children, and so make sure you grab that on the way out. Just a small token to show our appreciation and our gratitude for all that you do. If you would, please open up to Romans chapter 15. It is on page 950 in the Red Bible in front of you. Uh, If you don't own a Bible, that Bible is for you to keep. It's your Mother's Day gift. Uh, Even if you're a guy, happy Mother's Day. There you go. Uh, That's for you. Uh, Our only rule is if you take it, you have to read it. So, but we love to give away Bibles. So please feel free to take that. Uh, We're kind of hitting the home stretch of Romans right now. We're going through the last major transition of the book of Romans. If you remember, Romans 1 through 11 really lays out the gospel and receiving the gospel into our life. Uh, Chapter 12 through the middle of 15 is about applying the gospel to our world. And now in the last chapter and a half, Paul is giving his final greetings, his final blessings, and his final instructions to the church in Rome. Now, it is a long passage that we are going to cover today with a lot of very unique and interesting names. And so um, if you are looking for names for your children, uh, consider some of these. Uh, They're they're very unique, and you should enjoy them. Um, I'll probably mispronounce quite a few, but... Neither of us will know, so it will be fine. So um, let's start in uh, 15, chapter 15, verse 23, and we will read all the way through chapter 16, verse 23. And then the next two weeks, we will have shorter passages. So Romans 15, verse 23, Paul speaking to the church in Rome, says, But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, that is, spreading the gospel around northern Mediterranean, where God called him to go. And since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia had been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing, they owe it also to be of service to them in material blessing. When, therefore, I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ." 
I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. Chapter 16, verse 1. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church in Ancrete, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints and help her in whatever way she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Eponidas, who was the first convert to Christ in Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andromachus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Ampliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, our fellow workers in Christ, and my beloved Stachius. Greet Apelles, who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman, Herodian. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those who worked in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asensitris, Phlegon, Hermes, Petrobus, Hermes, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philogus, Julia, Nereus, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss, All the church of Christ greet you. Skip down now to verse 21 through 23. Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. So does Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my kinsmen. I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Gaius, who is host to me and to the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Cordus, greet you. Made it. All right. I did better this time than the first service, so let's pray. Lord God, as we come to a passage like this, one that we would probably quickly read through in our devotional time, um, it is here for our good. It's here for our profit. You have listed these people because these are people who are valuable not only to Paul, but to you. And so God, pray as we come to this passage, a passage that is Uh, difficult to read and maybe even difficult to process, that you would apply it to our hearts and to our lives in a way that is honoring and glorifying to you and edifying to one another. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, for those of you who don't know me, my name's Dan, and I too am from St. Louis, just like Pastor Jonathan, just by chance. We didn't plan that out. Uh, but I grew up the youngest of five children, and I think we might have a picture up here of my family. I'm the cute one. Um, 
we actually didn't have this the first service. By the way, one of the privileges of coming to the second service is we get to work out the kinks a little bit. So keep coming to the second service. There's another picture of us. There's a picture of my mom up there. And, uh, you know, we had very, we had a lot of kind of unique characteristics about our family. I think I may have shared some of them with you before. Uh, but, like, one of the unique characteristics of our family is when the pickles were gone, we all used to fight over who got to drink the pickle juice from the pickle jar. Uh, we also used to fight over who got to lick the ice cream box. Um, we even had an Easter tree out front that we would decorate with like Easter bunnies and like Easter eggs and school buses would stop by. I didn't even know this was weird until I got to college. Like that's when I found out these are really kind of unique characteristics. Um, in my family, we also had a tradition that, that when my mom cooked a meal, she'd bring out platters of food, she'd set on the table, and we couldn't take any of the food until we prayed. And so my older brother, Scott, would take the biggest steak and he would lick it and put it back so the rest of us wouldn't take it. But... Kind of smart when you think about it. <laughs> Another very unique characteristic that, I, that, that may be awkward, but I, I think is cool, uh, is my family's always kissed each other on the lips. Uh, even now when we go to Thanksgiving, my sister will kiss my wife on the lips. I know you're thinking awkward, right? Like maybe, but, but we weren't Italian. I don't think we're Italian. We just did it. And so we have some really unique characteristics in our family. I'm sure your family has unique characteristics as well. If you're looking for Mother's Day discussion around the table, talk about those unique characteristics. They're fun to think about. But every family has unique characteristics. Some good, some bad. Some proud characteristics, some really embarrassing characteristics. Some very redemptive characteristics in our family and some that are very, very broken but all families have unique characteristics, and the family of God is no exception. As we read through this passage today, we saw familial language as Paul called women sisters, and he called men brothers. Paul is recognizing that we are a part of a bigger family, that for all who trust in Christ, we are united to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, and that we are a part of the family of God. Now, as we look at today's passage, what we are going to learn is those unique characteristics of the family of God, or at very least, what are to be unique characteristics of the family of God. Now, if you have been a Christian for more than a minute, you know that we don't perfectly fulfill this, that there is a lot of brokenness in the family of God, and yet God here nourishes us by his grace as our perfect, powerful, heavenly Father to grow more and more into the image of that perfect wonderful, glorious family that all of us long for, but is only available to us in God through Jesus Christ. So what are the unique characteristics of the family of God? What are those characteristics that we should be pursuing as members of the family of God? Well, as a family of God, we're uniquely called to be lavishly loving, missionally minded, and sacrificially serving. Those are the three characteristics we're going to pull out today. Now, I'll be hopping around a lot. Hopefully it won't be too confusing, but I think we see these characteristics lived out through the life of Paul and also the church in Rome. So first characteristic is that we are to be lavishly loving towards one another. About 20 times uh, in, the, in Acts, I'm sorry, in Romans 16, Paul sends greetings to different people in the church of Rome. 
And this term greeting can mean more than that. It can mean to hug or to embrace someone. And so in some ways, Paul is saying, give my love or give a hug to this person here or there. And as you look at this list dozens of times, Paul calls people by name, both men and women, to encourage them. I think it's a great reminder to us of how important a person's name is. Um, in young life, when I served in that ministry, we used to say one of the most beautiful words in the human language is a person's name. We read in John 10 that the good shepherd calls his own sheep by name. I love the scene in the garden after the resurrection of Christ. Mary is there, and, and she's, she's kind of freaking out because she doesn't know who stole Jesus' body. And there's a gardener, and, and things are just crazy. And, and then Jesus says, Mary. And she says, Rabboni. See, names are, are valuable. Names communicate value. When we know somebody's name, when we call them by name, it is showing that we value them. And so I think this is an encouragement for us to seek that endeavor, to know people's names. Now, it's funny, you probably know I'm really bad at this. Uh, I told people this is an occupational hazard of mine, not knowing people's names. It's like a construction worker that doesn't know how to swing a hammer. I'm a pastor that's really bad with names. And so have to work on it. And I know some of you have notebooks. You keep track of it. Or you'll come ask me, hey, what's that person's name? Or maybe just be humble enough to go and for the 10th time say to a person, tell me your name again and try to remember it. But a person's name shows our love for them. And it is important to Paul to call them by name. And it is important to God. And that's why it's here in Scripture. And so we are to lavish love upon them by knowing their name, but not just that. We see here a language of love. Verse 23, second half, Paul says how he has longed for many years to come to them, to the church in Rome. In verse 24, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you once I have enjoyed your company for a while. You know, one of the biggest challenges of being a pastor is to try to bring people out of isolation and connect them to community. One of the things that people love to do is they love to run away from fellowship, run away from other people, either because the busyness of life or because they don't want to let anybody in or because they've been hurt before or for whatever reason. They don't want to connect to community and to enjoy fellowship. Yet here Paul is reminding us that the fellowship of believers, the fellowship of the family of God is a blessing given from God for our good. And as in verse 32, Paul says, to refresh us in their company. And so we are called to love one another lavishly. Verse 16 of chapter 16, he, he tells us to be very practical about it. He says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, if this is your first time at Jacob's Well, you may be wondering, how literally do they take the Bible here, right? Like, are we actually going to go kissing one? Like, is this Jackson family literal where we're kissing each other on lips? Like, what it, right? It would make fellowship time really interesting, right? Um, awkward. Uh, I don't, do you think our church attendance would go up or down? I'm not sure. Um, but for the people in Rome, this was not awkward at all. This is how you greeted someone that you loved, that you cared for. If you remember when Jesus was in the house of Simon, uh, he was preaching and they were ridiculing this woman who was, who was washing Jesus' feet and kissing him and crying on them. And he says, kind of in rebuke, he says, I came in and you didn't even kiss me, but this woman has not stopped kissing my feet since I've come to you. 
And if you remember, in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Judas betrays Jesus, he comes and how does he betray him? How does he identify Jesus to the Roman soldiers? With a kiss. And Jesus responds saying, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Because in the culture, a kiss would be a sign of affection, of intimacy, of safety. And it was the very thing that Judas used to betray his friend and his Savior. Now for us in our culture, uh, greeting each other with a kiss is probably not very common. Um, probably shouldn't be very common. But we can still apply this. What does it mean to welcome someone lovingly? I, I mean, I was just trying to think through this. I mean, I think a good handshake, maybe a hug, eye contact, focusing on people, focusing on an individual. Maybe when you're in conversation, not scrolling through your phone or on your iPad, but actually paying attention to somebody and giving them the attention that they deserve because they are valued by God and valued by, by, by sorry, I just see my son waving in the back window. I, that's too distracting to me. All right, how do I recover from that? Anyways, um, happy Mother's Day. The point is, we are to value one another, all right? Greet each other, probably not with a brotherly kiss, but with affection and attention and care that when they come into your presence, they say, this person values me and loves me and cares for me. Paul also talks about certain people that are his beloved. Um, he says in verse 8, greet and Pleiotus, my beloved in the Lord, and then verse 9, and my beloved Stachius. Um, you know, there's a lot of tangents you go when you're studying for a sermon. A lot of them don't get included, but I was interested at how this term beloved was used in the Gospels. And what I found very fascinating is that it's not used that much in the Gospels. And from what I studied, I could be wrong, but it is exclusively used in talking about God the Father's affection for his one and only Son, Jesus. And so you probably remember in the baptism of Jesus, God the Father says to him, you are my beloved son. And then at the Mount of Transfiguration, Jesus, uh, the Father says to the disciples there, he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And so this is a term of great endearment, of great affection that maybe we use loosely, but it was not used loosely in the Gospels. But then we get to Romans. And what we learn is that we are God's beloved. That just as God loves his son, Jesus, God loves you. And he loves me that way. And then Paul says that these are his beloved. And so there is a depth to his love for these people. And I think this even shows us that there are varying degrees. I mean, we are called to love all Christians. But there are those that, that we connect with better than others that are our beloved. Even Jesus had his 12 and his 3 and while we are called to love all, there will certainly be some that, that will be fuel for our souls. Another reference to lavish love, the final one I want to point out, and there's many, but it's just so appropriate for Mother's Day. Verse 13, if you look there, it says, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. She was a mother of Rufus but also a mother to Paul. You know, God has given women a special gift of 
being nurturers. And like Pastor Jonathan mentioned, it reflects the glory of God in ways that men don't as well. And so whether you are 19 or 99 years old, whether you have 15 biological kids or no biological kids, this reminds us that all women have a vital role in the family of God to be mothers to one another and to the children in our church. What does it look like to be a mother? Well, I think all of us kind of innately know that. We know what it should look like, I think. But there's a poem that I found that I thought did well at putting it in words. It's an author, Catherine Davis, and she says this. A mother is someone to shelter and guide us, to love us whatever we do, with a warm understanding and infinite patience and wonderful gentleness too. How often a mother means swift reassurance and soothing our small childish fears. How tenderly mothers watch over their children and treasure them all through the years. The heart of a mother is full of forgiveness for any mistake, big or small, and generous always in helping her family who needs she has placed above all. Christians, if you are in Christ, you are a part of a peculiar family that is not connected through blood, but through the union with Jesus Christ. Because we are united to our big brother, Jesus Christ, we are united to one another, and we become the family of God underneath God our Father, and we are called to be brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers to one another. And so this is the first and primary characteristic of the people of God, that we would lavishly love one another. The second characteristic of this family of God is that we would be missionally minded. You know, although Paul loved the saints in Rome and wanted to be with them and be refreshed by them, he did not keep his longing for the Roman church keep him from fulfilling the mission that God had given to him. If you remember in earlier in Romans 15, in verse 15 through 16, I think Paul lists out his calling from God. If you remember God's calling on Paul's life is that he would go amongst the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews, that he would go to the nations, the unreached people, and proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And now it would have been so tempting for him to stay in Jerusalem or in Antioch, his home church, or to go to Rome to be there where he could be fueled up by other people. But he knew God's mission was for him to go and to proclaim to these areas. And so we read here in verse 22, Paul says, this is the reason because he was fulfilling God's calling, God's mission. Why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing, in passing as I go to Spain. You know, one of the things that struck me about coming to Northeast Wisconsin is just how um, valuable family is nuclear family to, to the people here, to the people who were raised here. It amazes me how many people have most of their family still living within a five-mile radius of them. I mean, if someone goes to the other side of the river, they're considered a distant relative here. I mean, that's how, that's how close people are. And if you move outside of Brown County, it's like you fell off the face of the earth. We love family. We love family to be close. 
But it is so easy to idolize our families, isn't it? It is so easy to hold on to our family at all costs, to not let them go anywhere else but to be close to us because we love them, because we cherish them. It is the same with the family of God. We love each other. We love being around each other. And it is hard to let one another go. And yet here we are reminded that we must be missionally minded even as we are lavishly loving one another. You know, I think we have experienced this godly heartache time and time again at Jacob's well of forfeiting fellowship with someone for the sake of mission. I think of Noah and Heather Setterson, who just took off a couple months ago that many of us were close to. They went to go to seminary in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Or David and Rondelay Gallagher, our last youth intern, who went down to pursue seminary in St. Louis. I think of Jason and Lisa Fulian, who are planning to go back to South Africa in a couple of years to do ministry there. I think of many uh, of our parents here who are sending their kids overseas to do missions. I think of our small groups who, who split and plant for the sake of missions, but who have developed these tight relationships. I think of even just a couple of months ago as we took 60 people from this church family and sent them to go plant a church on the east side of Green Bay. And as we do these things, as we send brothers and sisters in Christ away, family of God away, people say, this is hard, this is painful, this is difficult. To which I say, praise God. I'm so glad it is hard. I'm so glad it is difficult. I'm so glad it is painful because that means you love them. It means you care for them. And if this wasn't painful, we'd have a much bigger problem. Now, how should we respond when someone is called to go? To go away from us for the mission that God has called them on. It's so easy to try to persuade them to stay, but how should we respond? Verse 24, Paul says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Paul is saying, don't avoid me, don't cling to me, but support me. Uh, he's actually asking for financial help. Maybe that, that the church in Rome could be the sending church for Paul to go to Spain to share the gospel, just like the church in Antioch was for him to go around the Mediterranean. He's saying, support me financially, support me in prayer, support me in fellowship to go and proclaim the gospel in Spain. And so what we see from this is that the family of God is called to a missionally-minded mindset, always ready to give away our best and our brightest and those we love through tears, supporting them in their ministry that God is calling to. You know, it's so amazing how, how we, we come upon a passage and it's just so fitting for the things that we're walking through as a church. I mean, this this thing with Rufus's mother, uh, so helpful for us on Mother's Day, uh, thinking about supporting missions, and we, we tell you about, about our mission team sending you letters and to support them. And so I think God does this so that we would apply the passage that we learn. And so I encourage you to give to the mission team generously as the Lord leads you. Now, money is not all that Paul needs or that missionary needs. You see there, he says, once I have enjoyed your company for a while... And then he talks about asking them to pray for him. And then verse 32, he says, So that by God's will, I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. You know, when I talk to missionaries that we support on the field, um, I want to know what's, what's hard, what's difficult, how can I be praying for you? And certainly it's hard raising financial support. Uh, it's hard being in another culture. 
But typically the most difficult thing for missionaries is that they no longer have a Christian community around them. They don't have a fellowship of believers, a, a family of God that's close to them because they've gone on to the uttermost ends of the earth to share the gospel. And so this is a great reminder to us that when missionaries come home to love them, to cherish them, to fellowship with them, it's so tempting to not do that because they're only here for a short time, but we can pour out our love upon them. This is what Paul needs. This is what missionaries need today. They need the family of God to love them, to mother them, to father them, to brother them, to sister them. Now, the mission was not just Paul, but also uh, all of these Christians here, uh, as we read through this, Phoebe, we read as a patron. Um, Phoebe probably carried this letter from Corinth to Rome, um, and she's also probably a financial supporter of Paul. That's what patron kind of means, as well as some other missionaries. Priscilla and Aquila uh, were called fellow workers in Christ. Uh, others were commended for hosting the church in their house where they gathered for the proclamation of the gospel. Others were prisoners for Christ. Others are called workers in the Lord. But what you see is this holistic effort, mission-mindedness to proclaim the good news of the gospel. The family of God is not called to keep to itself. We are called to be missionally minded with our finances, with our love and support, and even with our lives. I read a story this week of a missionary in Africa, and he was asked one time, do you love what you do? And his response was, no. <laughs> and then he explained. He said, no, my wife and I do not like dirt. We have reasonable, re refined sensibilities. We do not like crawling into vile huts through goat refuse. But is a man to do nothing for Christ he does not like? God pity him if not. Liking or disliking has nothing to do with it. We have orders to go, and we go. Love constrains us. Why would we do missions when we are sending away people we love? Because love constrains us. Love for God and love for those who do not know God and are not yet a part of the family of God. And so these are the first two characteristics of the family of God, that we would lavishly love one another, but that we would be missionally minded towards the world. And the final thing that I want to point out here is that we are called to sacrificially serve the saints. You know, serving is always sacrificial to one degree or another. Doesn't mean it isn't rewarding, but it is sacrificial. Uh, we talk about the three T's, to, to give of your time and your talent and your treasure. And that's what we see here. And so first, we see they sacrifice their time. Again, remember, Paul is longing to go to Rome. He's longed to go there for many years. He is wintering in Corinth. The winter is about to lift. But in verse 25, he says, At present, however, I'm going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. Now, if you look at a map of What's going on here? Paul's in Corinth right here. Rome is right there. If you paid attention in the math, uh, what is the shortest distance between two points? Straight line. Okay, this section knows, this section doesn't. All right, you guys paid attention. Good job. So, so the quickest route would just be to go straight from here to Rome, right? But Paul's saying, hey, I really, really, really want to come to you. I'm longing for you. I desire to be with you and go on to Spain. But first, I have to go a 1,000 miles out of the way <laughs> to Jerusalem to take 
financial aid to them, to take financial aid to the poor. I, I mean, it would have been easier to wire money, but such a thing didn't exist at the time. But, but can you imagine how inconvenient that is? I mean, how time-consuming it would be? At the very least, it would take months, but it ended up being years. You know, all of a sudden, it doesn't seem so inconvenient to come out for a spring cleaning day at church, right? Or, or to help a widow with her gutters or whatever it might be. We're called to sacrifice our time for one another. Verse 30, Paul goes on, he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. That barely happened, probably in answer to prayer. And that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. You know, prayer is not hard to do. I don't think what keeps us from praying is the difficulty of it. It is talking to God, just like you talk to another human being. But I think what keeps us from prayer is that it takes time, that we have to make it a priority. We, 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 We think that prayer is keeping us from doing something productive, right? I mean, I think that's what limits me a lot of times. I think, okay, prayer, that just doesn't feel that productive. But, you know, like writing this paper feels very productive. Checking email feels productive. Checking Facebook feels productive. But prayer, eh. But if we believe that there is a God, and the God is in charge of the entire universe, that he loves us, that he cares for us, that he is all-powerful, that he wants us to come to him and to petition him and to ask of him, How else could we spend our time in a better way, a more productive way, than to go and to pray to the God of the universe, Lord Almighty, for one another? And so we are to sacrifice our time to serve one another, to pray for one another, to care for one another. We are also called to sacrificially serve with our talents. Um, This is mentioned throughout the passage and really the book of Romans that but, but I want to look here at the end of our passage today, verse 21 through 23, just to highlight it. He says, Timothy, my fellow worker, greets you. Uh, if you know this, Timothy is the pastor in Ephesus. He was a gifted shepherd, teacher, leader, uh, and he took over the church in Ephesus after Paul had planted it. He says, so do Lucius and Jason. Jason hosted a lot of missionaries and Christians in his house in Thessalonica. He had a gift of hospitality. And Sosipater, my kinsman, I, Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. Uh, Not everybody was able to write, at least legibly or, or long letters like this, but this man could, and so he used that gift to serve the saints. He says, Erastus, the city treasurer, Um, We don't know this, but if he's anything like the accountants here, probably help balance the books at the church. And our brother Cordus greet you. Throughout this letter of Romans, what we've seen is that we are reminded time again that God has uniquely gifted every single one of us. Not only to make money to put food on our table, which is good, but to serve the body of Christ. We could see this yesterday uh, kind of as a microcosm uh, in the yummiest spring cleanup day ever. And it was the yummiest spring cleanup day we've ever had here at Jacobswell Church. But we have people who, who know how to weld. And so they spent all day putting the hinges back on the fence at the dumpster. 
We have people who are gifted at painting, and so they touched up the the book racks or the, the shelves in the atrium and in the hallway and painted my office and Pastor Jonathan's office. We have people who are gifted in construction and carpentry, and so they, they fixed up some things on the playground and built an octoball ring out back. We have people who are gifted at cooking, and so they made yummy food. And then you have people like me who are gifted at eating to enjoy yummy food. But spring cleanup day is kind of a focused example of what the church is supposed to be throughout the year. That we are called to sacrificially serve one another with our time, with our talents, and then also with our treasure. You know, we've already talked about how the churches were giving to missions, but they also gave to those who were just in need, the brothers and sisters in Christ in need. Verse 25 Says, Paul says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints for Macedonia and Achaia. That would be modern-day Greece area. Having been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessing. They ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. Jerusalem was a poor area of the empire. The Christians were the poorest in that area uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, You can think about how the rich sold their land and laid the money at the apostles' feet so they could distribute amongst the poor. Uh, There was a tightness of money, we know, because there was a complaint that certain widows were being neglected. Uh, Christians were not favored amongst the leadership, the Roman leaders, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem. And so getting a job or getting a fair deal was probably difficult to do. And so there was extreme poverty in Jerusalem. So much so that, that as the apostles were sending Paul off, we read in Galatians 2, Paul says, Only they asked us to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. And so in his missional journey, he goes and he shares Jesus, and then he encourages them. Hey, you want to give money to the church in Jerusalem, to the saints in Jerusalem? And they give generously. We've read uh, even above their means they had given. We don't have time to go in depth in this passage here, but Paul lays out in, in this passage why, why we should give to the saints. He says we should give because we are obligated to because we owe it to him, because we share in the spiritual blessings of Christ. But he also says that they gave because they were pleased to do so. They were pleased to give generously to support the saints that were in need. It was their privilege and their duty. Again, it just seems like God's timing on these passages are so perfect. I got an email this past week, and I'll try to summarize it for you. I don't get emails like this often, but it's from a sister church, another PCA church, which we are down in New Orleans. And they write this letter sharing a story about this older couple uh, who have had 11 kids, 60 grandchildren, and 35 great-grandchildren. That is a big Mother's Day lunch right there. But uh, her name's Miss Marita, and her husband is Lawrence. And they have been involved in this inner city church uh, for many years. They live off of $12,000 a year. Uh, He says they are an example of what it looks like to multiply ministry with five loaves and two fishes. But he writes in here and he shares that this past February, their house burned to the ground. And because insurance is so high in New Orleans after Hurricane Katrina, uh, they had some insurance, but it only covered a third of what it would cost to rebuild their house. 
It gave him 25000 but the total damages were 50000 And so they write this letter asking for the churches, for sister churches, to join them in supporting this family. They say here, they say, we've run into a scenario that is too large for us to shoulder. That's what Jerusalem was feeling. It was too low, large for them to shoulder alone and are calling on our fellow PCA sister churches to help. Last night, I posted this on our Facebook page. If you want to apply the sermon, go there. Click on the link. Be a blessing to this community that is, that is impoverished and this family that is hurting so deeply. Last night, I looked, and they were at 3000 of a $50,000 goal. And so if you are encouraged to apply what the churches did in Greece, go and support this family as well. Let me end with this. Earlier this year, um, the prime minister of England, Theresa May, appointed a minister for loneliness, a minister for loneliness. This coming after a 2017 report in England that revealed that more than 9 million people in that country often or always felt lonely. The government did further research and they found out that 200,000 older people in Britain had not had a conversation with a friend or a relative in over a month. Miss May said in a statement, she says, I want to confront this challenge for our society and for all of us to take action to address the loneliness. Now, some may balk at this, find it silly that they appoint a minister of loneliness. But personally, I think they are ahead of the curve. I, I think just because the USA doesn't have a minister of loneliness doesn't mean it's not because we aren't plagued with loneliness, especially in a culture of social media where authentic relationships are hard to find. But God has provided a great solution to this, and it is the family of God. And you know how God created the family of God? By fulfilling all of these characteristics towards us. It was God who had lavishly loved us when we were rebelling against him, running away from him. He put his fatherly affection upon us. God was missionally minded. He created a plan to come and to save us from himself, from, from his own judgment and destruction. And God was sacrificially serving. His son, Jesus, came and died on our behalf, to take on the wrath of God, that we could be a part of the family of God for all eternity. You know, just in case you're wondering how this all turned out, uh, Paul did end up going to Jerusalem. He got beaten uh, within an inch of his life. He was arrested. He was put in prison for years because they couldn't find a legitimate accusation to stick, but they didn't want to let him go. But then as a prisoner, he made his way through a really crazy journey on a ship, uh, to put it lightly. He finally made it to Rome. And we read about it in Acts 28, near the end of the book. And it says this, going to Rome, they said, There we found brothers and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And so we came to Rome. And the brothers there, when they heard about us, came as far as the forum of Appius and three taverns to meet us. On seeing them, Paul thanked God and took courage. Paul had a homecoming at Rome. When he came to the church at Rome, 
It was like a family reunion with people he had never met, but who he was brothers and sisters with. Friends, my hope is that this is what Sunday's mornings are to us. That we gather here to worship God first and foremost, but that it is a family gathering, a family reunion, a homecoming for all of us to celebrate the love of God, to sacrificially serve the saints, to be missionally minded to the world around us, and to lavishly love one another just as God has done for you through his son, Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for establishing this family. All of us come from one degree or another from a broken family, and yet this is a family that you are redeeming here, the family of God, to nourish us, to care for us, to love us, that they might bless us, but that we might also be a blessing. So God, embolden us to fulfill these characteristics of the family of God, not just corporately, but individually. May we go out and put your word into practice. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.